You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, what a wonderful camp meeting that you're giving us. We want to thank you for what we've learned already today and the last couple of days. And we want to thank you for what you're going to teach us today and in the coming days. And as we meet today, Lord, as we sit at your feet, we pray that we will learn of you and that we go, when we go from here, people will know that we have been with Jesus. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I sat a little bit more to rest because you don't know that. But it's a miracle I'm standing before you today because nine weeks ago, while I was at the swimming pool at Southern Adventist University, just got out of the jacuzzi, hot, bubbling water. And there I have a ministry in the wellness center. There are many professionals who have membership in the wellness center. So Lord, let me to witness to them. But the video showed that I stayed in the jacuzzi too long talking to them because everything is videotaped. As I got out of the jacuzzi, I was heading toward the swimming pool to have hot, cold contrast. And uh, I felt dizzy. And I said, I'll make it to the swimming pool. I couldn't. And I was passing by the high chair of the lifeguard, and I grabbed on to the high round metal bar on top to steady myself. And instantly, I lost all consciousness. That was a strange experience for me. As I was fading away, I had God's peace in my heart, and I was witnessing to these dear people and I knew if I never woke up, I will eventually wake up when Jesus descends the clouds of heaven. A wonderful feeling. Life is very fragile. Life is like vapor. What happened then? I fell backward. The accident took only 1.2 seconds. I fell backward all the way, and the video showed that the back of my head hit the concrete full impact. When I was awakened, there was blood everywhere. I cut two cuts in the back of my head. There was blood everywhere, but I was totally conscious, cognizant. And then the experts who examined me said, this is impossible doctor had three people fall on the back of their head on the sidewalk and they all died. He said, it's strange you're still alive. I need to study your case. So I took him the video and he saw it in slow motion, you know, like millimeter, milliseconds. And I saw myself gradually, slowly falling back. And my head hit full impact on the concrete. So he said, I'm puzzled. Something else must have happened. So he looked again at the video, and he paid attention to my legs and knees, and he discovered that God, in his love and providence, he had something else for me to do in this world. He allowed my knees to collapse. Two split seconds, two milliseconds before the impact full impact on my head. Therefore, God allowed falling on my knees to deflect the full impact on my head. That's a simple so I can tell you. And therefore, by a split second, God saved, me, saved my life. Otherwise, my wife would have to tell the conference leader, see, I'm sorry, my husband cannot come. Why? Is he sick? No, he passed away. He's resting in Jesus. Life is very fragile, is like vapor. Please, let's take advantage of every minute God gives us to do what? To bless others. So I speak to you today with this conviction. 
I'm alive by the grace of God. How many here in this audience at the hearing of my voice, have you ever heard, have you ever been in a tight spot where your life was on the line? God save you, raise your hand. Praise God for that. But when it happens to you, to me for the first time, it's something very special, it's something unusual. Yesterday, our first meeting, we talked about Christ, our mighty intercessor, in a unique way. Nobody else can take the place of Jesus. Some people try to. Some organizations try to usurp the high priestly ministry of Jesus, but nobody can usurp that. Nobody can change God's commandments. Can you imagine Ten Commandments were not inspired? Why? Didn't need to be inspired. Why? Because they're written with the very finger of God. Can you imagine if you're Moses? You received these commandments from the hands of God, and you traced where, where God's finger was. This is where God's finger was. It's holy, it's sacred. Why in the world? He want to belittle anything wrote with his own finger. Because my commandment is better than your commandment. So as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, let's always be faithful to the Word of God, to God and His Word. You know, uh, people ask me questions as a professor of theology at the seminary here and at Southern Adventist University. What's, uh, what's your purpose in teaching the Bible? Very easy question to answer. My first and foremost priority is to build up the student's faith in God, in high view of Scripture, building up their confidence in the distinctive Adventist message and the spirit of prophecy, so that when they graduate, they can teach and preach and give Bible studies with conviction. It makes a difference to have conviction for people to know you're the genuine article. You're not faking it. You're the real stuff. One time I was preaching at a camp meeting, not this one, and my wife and I passed by the elders' room. And there was the preacher for the 11 o'clock hour I was speaking every evening. And he was struggling with his wife. He said, you know, how can I preach? I don't believe this message anymore. And I have to preach in five minutes. What do I do? And her, her answer was very revealing and sad. She said, well, go ahead and fake it like you always do. Sad, isn't it? I mean, like you always do. He's faked things before. He lives his life as a pastor faking things. There is no fakery with God. Either you're for real or you're not because God knows the heart. My friends, let's be challenged to be genuine for God, authentic for God, as we look back at the life that God has given us to say, Lord, thank you. Give me one life to live. And by your grace, I lived it authentically. That gives your heart peace. And you know you're doing God's will. Yesterday in this sermon, I mentioned about the fragrance of Christ's intercession in the heavenly sanctuary. And I built that on Revelation 8, verses 3 and 4, where it says, in the heavenly sanctuary, the altar of incense where prayer was offered, the angel was given a lot of incense. Actually, in the Greek, it means all-sufficient incense. Everything about Christ is all-sufficient. Alan White said, this all-sufficient incense represents Christ's perfect righteousness and perfect intercessions. All-sufficient, because he's unique. And then, and then Revelation 8, 3 to 4 says, and the all-sufficient incense was to be mingled with the smelly prayers of all the saints. Isn't that hopeful? 
And people accuse Ellen White of not studying Greek. I had a, a theology professor who knew Greek and Hebrew. He said, well, I know more than Ellen White. Why is that? He said, because she had a third grade education and she never studied Greek. I said, yeah, but the Holy Spirit can use third graders. He can transcend linguistic education and impress the heart directly with his will. Do we believe that? I'm saying this because for the word join his all-sufficient incense with the prayers of the saints. The different translations translate the Greek word differently because, you know, sometimes it's hard to translate a foreign word. You have like four or five English translations. A mix, join, add. These are all good words. But Ellen White, not knowing Greek, chose the best English word. Why? And she chose the word mingle. He mingled the all-sufficient incense of his mighty prayers, his fragrant prayers, with your and my smelly prayers. Is that encouraging? So whenever, how do you, how you put this to practice? Whenever you feel that your prayers are not smelling good, have courage, because there is great, great help on the way. Christ is coming to you with his fragrant, all-sufficient incense of his mighty prayers to saturate, to mingle his prayers with yours. Thus your prayers become fragrant in his fragrant prayers. And then there was a statement I want to share with you, and it's found in Great Controversy, page 489. Because you know, most Christians focus on the cross. They wear the cross, they talk about the cross. Hardly they talk about the sanctuary. I am so glad Seventh-day Adventist Christians are blessed with the message of the sanctuary. Why? Because Christ is not hanging on the cross today. He is ministering in the heavenly sanctuary and interceding for us. And that's why this statement is important. And people say, well, which is more important? The cross or the sanctuary? People debate that. But you know something? His, I call them uh, two words, the perfect provision for our salvation and the perfect application of our salvation. His death on the cross is as vital as his intercession in the heavenly sanctuary. Don't anybody tell you, let's debate this, you know, which is more important. Both are important, Amen. equally important. And this is a statement from Great Controversy, page 487, 489, I'm sorry. The intercession of Christ in man's behalf in the sanctuary above is as essential, as essential. See how balanced she was? to the plan of salvation as was his death upon the cross. Why is that? Because his perfect provision on the cross is vital, as vital as his application in the sanctuary. Provision, application are equally important. It's like somebody issuing you a check. That's perfect provision for the $1,000, whatever you are to receive. Perfect provision, good check. You can cash it, and then, but unless you cash it, it doesn't do you any good. And if you don't believe me, try it sometime. Because one time, I received an envelope. It seemed like junk mail. So I put it on my desk, and I think with time, I lost sight of it. And 10 months later, I was fixing, uh, organizing my desk. I should have said that. I, I, fix my, I clean my desk more than just once a year. <laughs> but it just happened I was doing more thorough work, and I found this envelope. Oh, man, I, I threw this in the garbage. 
when I opened out of curiosity, there was a check from a company for $325. But it was too late. It expired. It did me no good. My friends, some of my students tell me they can procrastinate. They can postpone their commitment to Jesus and walk with Jesus because they can do it anytime they want. Is that true? If it is, why did Isaiah say, seek the Lord while, there's a key word, while he may be found, implying what? Someday he might not be found. Come to my office when I have office hours. If you come late in the evening, I'm not there. I tell my young people, please focus on the word while. Oh, no, I don't believe in the word while. Because he's available all the time, anytime, no matter what I do. I say to them, of course he is, because he loves you. But don't play with the grace of God. Don't abuse it. Because Ellen White said, God's grace is awesome, yet it is, it's not, I should say, it's not inexhaustible. She uses that word. Meaning at some point, God's grace will be exhausted. When? In our lifetime, if we're pursuing evil consistently, our hearts are hardened, or when Jesus steps out of the most holy place and declares the close of probation. At some point, his grace will be exhausted. So, the admonition is this. Seek him while he, might be, he may be found. Cash a check while there's still time. And talking about checks, the Lord Jesus issues each one of us a check. By the way, pastors in this conference, does your conference... Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, do they issue a check for your salary? I hope so. But do you know, Jesus issues a greater check. It doesn't have to do with money. And it says, pay to the order of Pastor Ringgold. I know his name. He was my student. How much? Salvation to the uttermost. That's the best check you can ever receive. Is that a sure check? Will it bounce? No. It's good to the bank. And it's signed by Jesus with his own blood. And his own blood provides us with his righteousness and his life. Signed with his blood. Every one of us got this provision, perfect provision, perfect signature. Why not now, why not today cash it and invite Christ to give you that salvation to the uttermost before it's too late? Some time ago, considering the debate and arguments among our scholars about salvation, the primacy of justification by faith or the primacy of sanctification by faith. People argue about that. You know, whenever people argue about the good news, there must be something wrong. The good news is supposed to brew in love and reconciliation and peace. So I saw these two theologians arguing back and forth, and the argument was so heated, they're ready to punch each other in the nose. So I didn't want to see that. So I intervened in their debate. And I said, well, I happen to believe in the primacy of glorification. What? Yes. What would you do if you are justified and sanctified, but never glorified? You're stuck in this world forever. I didn't mean to say the primacy of glorification. I was just trying to shift their attention to the complete picture of salvation. So the Lord helped me to write a simple book because the gospel is simple. If it's complicated, be concerned about that. Because Ellen White said, she said, Satan takes the plainest statements of Jehovah 
and makes it complicated. The gospel should not be complicated. And so I asked the question before writing the book, who do I consult about Christ's salvation? And the answer was very ready and quick, and that's Jesus. I mean, instead of consulting with the scholars about salvation, consult with the Savior about his salvation. I like things to be simple. So nobody can miss what I'm saying. If you want to know about salvation, consult Christ, our Savior. So I titled the book, Christ's Way of Salvation. Christ is the expert in everything. If you want to grow spiritually, he is a spiritual giant. You can go to him for consultation. Why should I go to anybody else? Why do I go to any spiritual gurus if Christ already is a spiritual genius? And so, I'm going to find that simple gospel in the Old Testament. Because some people say the God of the Old Testament is different than the New Testament. I collected all the most wonderful promises about God's love to us, God's salvation. There are hundreds of them. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. Don't, don't let people tell you otherwise. So I'm going to go to an obscure book in the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah. It, it's a book that has, a book that's packed, pregnant with things about Jesus. Christ-centered, eschatological, salvific. In that small book, in that book, we learn about the three advents of Jesus. First one in Nazareth, we await the second one. It, it goes all the way a thousand years during the millennium to talk about the third coming of Jesus on the Mount of Olives. It, it, the span is vast in one book. Then it talks about Jesus being our Emmanuel, our mighty intercessor, it talks about he, along with the Holy Spirit, how they cooperate in the salvation of mankind. It talks about him as a vindicator, as a judge. It talks about him, the hope of the remnant. It talks about our Savior. It talks about him relating to his victory, our victorious king. About him as a good shepherd, about the lamb slain. At least 21 descriptions of Jesus. Very Christ-centered book. And this is what intrigued me about the book. On page 40. I don't know if you ever read that or heard about it, but it's really important. That's in Prophets and Kings, page 587. Continue praying for my voice. Usually I have a stronger voice. But I have some kind of... I don't know what. So pray for my voice. And I prayed. And I haven't had much trouble today. And I'm praying I'll finish this sermon okay. And God always blesses like yesterday. He's able to do that. Then after this, I go to the hotel room and I suffer. <laughs> Coughing, whatever. My wife is a nurse and she suffers with me even more than me. Look at the statement. I'm going to read very carefully and with conviction. She says, I entreat of you, the verb to entreat, what does that mean, the entreat? Plead with, exhort. I plead, I entreat of you what? Number one, read the third and fourth chapters of Zechariah. There's a reason for that. Why the third and fourth chapter? Because they apply to our times today. What did she say? First thing you do is read. There are people who only read the Bible. I read my chapter today. There's more to it than that. I'm teaching a seminar, uh, 3.30, I think, 3.30, here in the commons room, and we talk about more than reading Scripture. 
We talked about tasting and seeing it's good. How do you make it practical? How do you feed on Jesus so his life becomes your life? Read first. And if these two chapters are understood, oh, so the first thing is we read and then we understand. When you read, you don't understand, there's little benefit. Number two, understand these two chapters. The third thing is received. That's interesting. Right in the small paragraph, she tells us how to taste and see that the Word of God is good. Read, number one. Secondly, receive in your heart. And thirdly, no, I'm sorry. Secondly, understand. And thirdly, receive in your heart. You got to receive it in the heart so it becomes a part of your being. If that's done, the promise is here. A work will be done for those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Wow, this is a work about the righteousness of Jesus. The message of righteousness by faith in Christ, which will mean to the church, go forward and go upward. I like Elder Ted Wilson's emphasis. He sounds evangelistic. He said, never go backward, go forward. Always go forward. No retreat, no matter what happens. Go forward, and if you go forward, Jesus, you go upward. You never go down. Never, never give up. But always look up and see light in the face of Jesus. Go forward and upward with Jesus. Zechariah's vision of Joshua and the angel applies with peculiar force. Peculiar force. To who? To the experience of God's people in the closing scenes of the great day of atonement. It's our day. Applies with peculiar force to us. And that's what I'm talking about today. You wonder why we are entreated to read chapter 3 and 4 together. Together. I was curious about that. Except you can easily discover when you read that chapter 3 is about the works of Jesus and saving people by his grace through faith. It's about Joshua, the high priest, how his filthy clothes were taken away. He was clothed with a garment representing Jesus' righteousness. So chapter 3 is about the salvation we have in Jesus. How does it relate to chapter 4? What's chapter 4 about? You know, it's about the vision of the olive tree and the olive oil. What does that represent? Can somebody tell me? What happened to all my A students? Yes, they're sitting in the front. Where are you? I need your support when I need help. Well, I think, I think one of my former students maybe spread the word that when Dr. Saman preaches, he pre normally he preaches with emotion, he moves around and he sweats. And the people who sit in the front in my classroom sometimes receive some drops of rain. I couldn't believe that rumor till some, one of my theology majors was sitting right in the middle there, and he took his necktie, he was wiping his glasses. That was a strange thing. It wasn't raining. The uh, sprinklers were not on. Why would you do such a thing? So I waited till the end of the class. I talked to him privately. I said, why were you doing that? He said, Dr. Saman, please let it pass. It's of no consequence. Don't worry about it. No, no, I'm worrying about it. Please tell me. He said, well, I mean, I want to be gentle to you. You know, when you speak passionately with emotions, he said, you have the, ten the tendency. He didn't, tendency is a good word. For small particles of saliva to come out of your mouth and you spray the people in the front. <laughs> he could have come out and said, you know, uh, frankly, 
He spit on people. <laughs> but he was very kind and gentle. Since then, I don't speak very close to people. And I try to discipline myself to hold everything inside. And I've been almost successful at that. So where are my A students? Please come back to the fold tomorrow, would you? I need you. I need to pick on you when I have questions. So chapter 4 is about the olive tree, olive oil, and all of that. And, and then uh, the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by... So what is it about? Holy Spirit, yes. Thank you for taking the place uh, of my A students in the front who are absent today. Appreciate that. The Holy Spirit, the oil, olive oil represents the Holy Spirit. And all along in the whole Bible, there is cooperation, intimate cooperation between Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Godhead and the third person of the Godhead. There you have it right here. The work of salvation by Jesus is actualized by the working of the Holy Spirit. Anywhere else this is manifested? Yes. The four Gospels are about who? About Jesus. The acts of Jesus and the acts of the apostles are really the acts of the Holy Spirit. After the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit used the apostles, but it was really his works. So we can say the Gospels are the acts of Jesus and the acts of the apostles are the acts of the Holy Spirit. There you have this cooperation. And by the way, when Jesus was baptized, getting ready for his public ministry, he was driven by the Spirit to the wilderness. What drives our lives today? What force? Is it ambition for wealth or position? Is our life driven by the Spirit of God? You know, that reminds me of commercial. Some people like commercials. You know, sometimes I, I don't watch the news. You know why? Much. Because there's so many commercials. Did you know that? I mean, it's not two, three, four, five, six, seven. There could be 12, 15 of them. And then little news. Anyway, so what? Little news is bad news, so it's good to spend your time doing something else. But there's a commercial about Toyota. We drive a Toyota van. How many drive Toyota here? Oh, so you must be driven. That's the slogan for Toyota car. We are driven. And after it says that, another commercial for Toyota, we go places. You remember that? First of all, we're driven by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes us in special places. Philip, the evangelist, was driven by the Holy Spirit as he encountered the eunuch from Ethiopia, and he went places with him. And by the way, the Greek word for the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, is parakletos. Literally, it means somebody who sits next to you to comfort you. And the question I want to ask in these last days, how come Seventh-day Adventist Christians are not very comfortable with the comforter? Supposed to comfort us. How come we feel like ill at ease when we talk about the Holy Spirit? He's just like Jesus. You love Jesus, don't you? He's like Jesus. Just like Jesus told Philip and the disciples, why you ask me this question about the Father? The one who's seen me has seen the Father. My friends, the Father is like Jesus, loving, caring, sympathetic. The Holy Spirit is the same, the same characteristics as Jesus. So why don't we feel comfortable with the Comforter when we're supposed to seek him, pray for his outpouring? So I like to describe chapter 3 of Zechariah about Christ's work of salvation. If I were to give it a title, it's From Guilt to Glory. Because he was full of guilt. Jesus took his guilt away. So it is from guilt. 
but God doesn't leave us there. He takes us all the way from guilt, and he doesn't let go of us unless he takes us to glory. And what I mean by that is glorification. As I mentioned the example, I told these two theologians, don't forget about glorification. The primacy of this, the primacy of that, they're all primacy. Justification by faith in Christ. Sanctification by faith in Christ. And glorification by faith in Christ. Three things that complement each other and reinforce each other. There's no doubt about it. And then i just like to read the vision in Zechariah 3 about Joshua. So if you want to go to that, I'm going to read it slowly and with conviction. Verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, representing you and me, God's people, standing before the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Be careful. Whenever Jesus is near to you, the devil wants to be near. Whenever the Lord gives you success, there's a regression, a discouragement. Whenever you reach the mountaintop of spirituality, the devil wants to bring you down to the valley. When Elijah had that glorious experience at Mount Carmel where he challenged all the priests of Baal and the king and the queen, evil king and queen. He was bold. Nobody could stand before him. The power of God was all around him. And all of a sudden, he got scared. He started looking down, and he ran away and hid and wished he could die. If you ever feel that way, you have good company, the prophet. Elijah, there's hope for people who run away. He ran from this wicked woman. Come on, prophet. Elijah, don't run away from this wicked woman. But he did. That's why God sought him out to restore him, to bring him back. That's part of life. Don't be ever surprised when you're up and down. It's part of life, but you get to go back to Jesus. Like Peter, he starts sinking. And instead of continuing on sinking, he said, Lord, save me. That's what happened to me when I was, when I was losing consciousness. That's why I said, Lord, save me. And he saved me. Let's continue. The devil might oppose you as much as he wants to, but the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? I remember when I was in Africa, I had so much paper and didn't want to bring it here. So my wife and I had a bonfire. We started burning all the junk paper we didn't need. And my father, whom I had not seen, in 58 years since I left the old country. They died without me being allowed to go to the funeral. So I treasured his letters in Arabic. He had a very good handwriting, very good script. The bunch of junk. I noticed from the corner of my eye, his letter was thrown with the trash, burning. So I didn't care about my hand, I just put my head in the fire and plucked it out before it was consumed. And now I'm protected in plastic cover. It is, it is charred, it's brown. I still can read the words, and it's very precious to me. A letter from my father plucked from the fire. And the Lord Jesus plucks you and me from the midst of the fire. You know, in Isaiah 42, in verse 3, there's a text which says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. That's how Jesus views us. He builds us up. He doesn't crush us. There are so many people today, 
even our church, who specialize in condemnation. Oh, there are many things to condemn, but we are to focus on the wheat, not the chaff, like Jesus did. Whenever you feel somebody is specialized in this art of condemnation, be careful, because Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but I came to save the world. I want to summarize three things in chapter 3. But let me finish reading first before I summarize. Verse 3, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And on, I'll skip a little bit. And the angel of the Lord stood by. After Jesus clothes us with his pure robe of righteousness, he doesn't leave us. He stands right there with us. What happens after that? I call this the covering, but there is more salvation than the covering. There's a second thing, that the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk, all his promises are conditional. There are people who claim to be covered with the robe of Christ's righteousness, but do nothing about it. A part of being clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness is the walking with Jesus. If we don't walk with Jesus, we never retain his robe of righteousness. He says, if you walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, present tense, if you walk, then you shall also judge my house, future tense, and likewise have charge of my course, and I will give you, future tense, places to walk, among these who are here, meaning the angels in heaven. So there we have the summary with three aspects. Christ's salvation to the uttermost, from glory to glory forever. But yet, he takes us from guilt, and he sanctifies us, and he takes us to glory. So the first one, the first one, is the covering. Very important to start with the covering. You can't go anywhere without the covering. It's indispensable to be covered by Christ's righteousness, but we need to be willing to give up our own attempts to save ourselves by our own good works. It's good to have good works inspired by God but they have to be baptized in the perfect works of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with being righteous. I like to meet righteous, godly people, but don't depend on that to save you. Your good works must mingle with the perfect works of Jesus. Daniel, nothing, was, nothing wrong was found in him in the Bible. Yet his good works had to be mingled and covered with the good works of Jesus. So first of all, the covering. Secondly, while the angel of the Lord was standing there, what happens after the covering? Always walking with Jesus in this world. If we don't walk with Jesus in this world, there's no covering. It's not a matter of once saved, always saved, like some people believe. No, no. We can choose not to keep the covering by not walking with Jesus. And number three, if we walk with Jesus in this world, we'll walk with him in heaven among the angels. That is complete salvation. That's salvation to the uttermost. Three of them are important. Why? Because we covered by Christ's robe of righteousness. We walk with him. 
and that's the process of sanctification, then in the future awaits us a glorification by the grace of God. That, that's complete message of salvation to the uttermost. There's nothing more, nothing less. And there's no reason to waste our time arguing which aspect is more important. They're all important. It's all from the heart of Jesus. It's all important. Like when I was editing the Sabbath School Quarterly at the John Conference years ago, I was editing a lesson on Revelation. Oh, so many people opposed the idea that the whole Bible is equally revealed. What do you mean it's not equally revealed? Tell me. Because there's a part of the Bible that's revealed. There's a part of the Bible that's inspired. And you are the one and us to help you to divide the Bible and decide which is revealed and which is inspired. And what they describe as inspired was of less importance and authority. You want to be the judge on that? Why not accept the whole word of God? Who are we to judge which is inspired, which is revealed? So I took time to think about it, pray about it, and the Lord led me to ask a citation from Ellen White. Perfect citation. And I put it in the quarterly to answer such critics. And this is what Ellen White says. Don't let anyone tell you. I mean, when she says that, that's important. Don't let anybody tell you. At that moment, many people were telling me. Perfect quotation. Don't let anyone tell you what is inspired and what is revealed in the Bible. Everything is inspired and revealed and has equal importance. So I put that in the lessons. And I was hoping, praying, this would be enough for the critics. Don't let anyone tell you. Justification is more important than sanctification. They're all together. They're all integrated. And the two theologians I talked to about glorification, I mean, like, we miss out on that. How come we haven't thought about it? Excuse me, you poor people, if you forget about glorification, where do you plan to go beyond this world? It's all balanced. It's all completed. It's all integrated. Don't divide it. Don't twist it. Don't change it. Leave it like it is, like in Zechariah chapter 3. It's all together. Now that you've covered Joshua, walk in my ways in this world, and you'll walk with my ways in my ways in heaven. That's all. Let me conclude with an experience one of my students. By the way, I interact with my students a lot because Ellen White said this about Christian education. Otherwise, why don't you go to public school? She said, Christian education is more than dispensing good information. It's the investment of our lives in our young people. We have to invest our lives like Jesus did. So anyway, the student came from the summer break. A sophomore, 19 years old, said, Dr. Saman, I learned the gospel. From who? From my pastor. And I tell you, it's so much fun to know the gospel. And I'm assured of my salvation now. I have nothing to worry about. The statement was so forward and so definite. I want to see him in my office just to check out, to make sure he's okay. Because, you know, some people experience false assurance of salvation. Do you know there is genuine and false in everything? Let me call it to fit our terminology of today. Some people think that they are assured of salvation, but it's not genuine assurance, it's fake assurance, false assurance. We don't want anything fake in our Christian lives. Away with it. So I said to him, tell me what you mean by that. He said, well, you see, Jesus loved me so much. Oh, he loves me infinitely. And because he loves me infinitely, He's going to save me at the end, so I have nothing to worry about. Salvation is objective. There's nothing subjective about it. I said, yes, it is objective. It's the work of Jesus on our behalf. But we got to respond. 
You got to receive it in your heart and make it effectual in your life from day to day. What do you mean by that? I said, for example, let me ask you. Do you enjoy walking with Jesus? Oh, no. Walking with Jesus sounds so boring to me. Really? So what about the Bible? Do you enjoy reading? Oh, no, I don't read anything. I don't, I don't even read your textbook, Dr. Simon. I, I'm tired of reading. So what do you do then? I just text. You never read your Bible? No. It's boring for me. What about praying? Praying? Man, that's the most boring activity. What about witnessing? No. I don't witness. I just have a good time. I just have fun. So you're not working, you're not walking with Jesus in this world. I'm not. But in heaven, I'll walk with him among the angels. Oh, I tried to be tactful and loving. And I told him, if we don't enjoy walking with Jesus in this world, we'll not enjoy walking with him in heaven. And he eyes open wide. He said, that makes sense. I said, you plan to get married? Yes. I'm dating this beautiful girl. I said, okay. So you plan not to walk with her? Nothing to do with her? He said, no. Why? Because I love her. There we have the answer. Do you love Jesus with all your heart? If you love Jesus with all your heart, you would want to walk with Jesus because genuine love always seeks togetherness. If you love someone, you want to walk with them. <clears throat> and Jesus loves us so much. He's eager to be with us because he loves us. <coughs> Let's stand for prayer. Dear Father, how wonderful the Bible is. And because we decide to love you with all our hearts, not only part of our hearts, all. Therefore, we love your love letter, the Bible. We love to converse with you. <coughs> we love to work with you and walk with you. May we, like Enoch, continue this walk with you in this world. And in that walk, then we maintain the covering. And we guaranteed the walking with you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.